Hey everybody and welcome to our newest project for first responder wellness, No One Fights Alone, an in-depth conversation about mental health and addiction in the first responder space. We're joined by your hosts Austin Pedersen and Josh Adams. Alright folks, sorry about the late start this morning. We had some technical difficulties. Uh, but we are ready to bring on our first part-time employee, someone between the ages of 5 and 10, that can fire up this equipment because it kicked Austin's ass this Do morning. a better job than me. In exchange for a pack of Yu-Gi-Oh cards, we just need you to turn it on and turn it off. Well, thank you, Josh, for being so kind to me today. Um, <laughs> no, I think uh, I think we want to switch gears a little bit this morning. Uh, and and focus on talking about something we haven't talked about in the last four or five episodes, which has been veterans. Veterans, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I think we have a, a person on with us today that can really shed some light on what it's like to treat veterans uh, with what you know what they've gone through, being in the military, the trauma that they've seen, the the mental health that they face. So. Uh, Josh, go ahead and introduce your, your boy here. Well, my boy is Ty Hansen. I've, I've known Ty most of my life. We uh, probably met in junior high years, went to the same schools and, and so forth. And we both had uh, interesting, you know, divergent paths that came back, back around full circle in life. And... Uh, we'll give Ty a chance to, to tell his story a little bit too and, and what he does with veterans. But, you know, we're, we've got a, a guy on here this morning that's been through the ringer. And uh, when it comes to, to a person that's in a, that's a mover and a shaker that gets it and can empathize with individuals, he's definitely one of them. So we appreciate him taking the time this morning to, uh, to chat with us. Ty, why don't you give us a little bit of your background? Well, thanks, Josh. Thanks, Austin. Um, my name's Ty Hansen. I own um, Steps Recovery Center. So we're the largest private uh, provider in the state of Utah. And like Josh essentially spoke to, I have a colorful background, I guess you could say, Austin. And uh, I've been sober about 10 years now. Um, but I, uh, when I was younger, uh, had a uh, really bad prescription drug problem, which turned to a heroin problem and had the opportunity to spend a couple of years in the Utah State Prison. And at that time, um, really had some good therapists, some good people that, that took care of me and kind of helped me see that there was some hope in life and a way to change things. And so when I got out, I went back to school, became a licensed uh, substance use disorder counselor and started working for uh, Steps Recovery Centers. And then from there, um, about three and a half years ago, ended up buying Steps Recovery Centers. And at that time was at BYU uh, for my master's degree in social work and had some really cool professors. The least of those was a guy named Dave Wood, who's kind of, man, he's this brilliant guy for motivational interviewing. And he's also a a veteran and, and just a stud. And so he was kind of instrumental in a lot of things. But um, 
as we bought steps and kind of redid and rebranded everything and then spent a lot of time kind of retraining the staff for all the new and updated modalities and different pieces, we really got into kind of a cool niche. And then um, I started working for the Utah County Sheriff's Office doing the RISE program about four years ago, five years ago now. And that's given me some access to a lot of first responders and good friends and people that I um, love and, and uh, that have struggled. And, and I think a lot of them have gone to see you guys at Chateau. So it's been a really educational thing for me. I had a uh, uncle that was a drill sergeant at Fort Houston in Texas. And he was really instrumental in my life growing up. He was this little ball of energy and his sons were all just stud athletes that played football and he was uh, really impactful in my life and he served in the military in the vietnam era and so he was an ecologist a uh, really smart guy he worked for um, a big place out in richland washington and for all accounts and purposes he kind of had a mental break and he had called the VA, he had access to a therapist, but it was somewhere between three and five days away. And in that time, he felt really hopeless and went in the backyard and, and took his life. And so it's one of those things where people endure so much trauma and so many issues. And Josh and I talk about this all the time with first responders. Um, there's not a time when I sit down with somebody and start going through things. And I don't think humans are supposed to hear, see, and experience all of the things that first responders do on a daily basis. And by in turn, a lot of first responders are veterans and it kind of falls in the same line. You can imagine we've treated some black ops guys, some Navy SEAL guys, some uh, colonels and some generals and, and different people. And the amount of death and destruction and issues that they see uh, while they're deployed, come home, are here for six months, um, have to function normally and then are deployed again over and over and over for decades really causes a lot of chaos and PTSD and trauma and issues that is kind of the only way the human body and the human mind can exist in those circumstances is to, you know, really either turn to alcohol and drugs for coping or uh, to kind of shut out some of these traumas and try not to deal with them only knowing that when you retire in 10, 20, 30 years, you know, you're taking all that stuff with you out the door. So it's been a, a really incredible education in knowing that we just don't do enough for the people that do everything for us. Yeah, for sure. Well, can you talk a little bit how you, I don't know if it's a partnership or how you've worked with the VA. It, it, say if someone goes to the VA and looks for help, how, how they end up you know, going through steps recovery and then also like what levels of care that you offer for them. Cause I think that the one thing that is amazing for these veterans that not every facility has is even after the residential program that you guys have, you help offer housing, outpatient life skills, th those kind of things. Yeah. The VA is kind of a unique thing. There's a, a whole bunch of incredible clinicians and they have a couple of programs up there and they do an incredible job with, you know, the amount of people that need services. We're still losing, I believe, 22 veterans a day to suicide across the nation. And so it's a really um, difficult task ahead. It's, it's one that, you know, we've kind of thrown our hat in the ring as a community solution. 
and the VA, if deemed appropriate, will kind of refer them down to us. And, and we have residential, we have day treatment, we have outpatient. But to Austin's point, our big thing is is the housing part. And, you know, we've kind of found with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which you guys understand, if you if you don't have air, food, shelter or water, there's no way to do therapy. And so for people that are homeless, people that are chronically homeless, people that are, you know, even in chronic pain, unless you can help to subside some of those things that are in the forefront of their minds, you know, treatment and all these other things aren't really important and aren't feasible. So we've kind of come up with a way to, you know, make sure they're safe, make sure they're taken care of. The VA is incredible with all of the resources that they plug them into as well as housing and other things. And we've just kind of been allowed to be a community partner on the, on the outskirts and allowed to treat and kind of help wherever they deem necessary. So it's, it's, a neat thing to be able to help some of America's heroes. And that's really how we hold them and just do everything we can do for people that allow us to have the freedoms we have today. Yeah, no, I think it's, that's why I wanted to bring you on is just that I think it's, it's a lot of places will say that they treat veterans. Sure. And I think it's because, unfortunately through what they've been with there's a lot of veterans that need treatment yeah right so so most people see it as a business opportunity sure uh but they don't they don't do it correctly yeah be, because of what you're talking about which is you know as as we know a lot of veterans are chronically homeless yep they they just do not have the capability to hold a full-time job and to hold, you know, all of those things necessary in order for them to heal then, you know? And yep. so, um, can you talk about like that little, you talked about it earlier, the trainings that you had to bring in, like what's that cultural competency piece that you guys do at your facility? Cause I know that you're, you're treating quite a few, mm -hmm. uh, at a time. You know, the biggest thing for us is we redid, you know, obviously our, our facility is called steps recovery centers and it, it was originally very 12 step based. And I would almost say um, somewhat religious based. And so when I first started working there, if you smoked a cigarette while you were there, they would, they would kick you out and um, really didn't treat the problem. Almost said, Hey, here's this book. Here's this way that people get sober. You can do it our way or you can get out the door. And so part of going back and get my master's degree is I, ha I, I gained a friendship with a guy named Eric Schmidt and he runs New Roads Behavioral Health. And whatever you think about treatment in the state of Utah for mental health um, issues, New Roads is kind of, I think you'd agree Austin, the forefront of, yeah. of that training. And so we're talking yeah. mental health. Yes, we're, we're Severe, talking yeah. mental health. You don't have your shoelaces, yeah. you know, uh, but they use uh, Marshall Linehan's dialectical behavioral therapy as the modality there. And so Eric was wonderful, took me to some trainings back at Cumberland Heights back east and kind of took me under his wing. And then he was kind enough to uh, allow all of our staff to be trained uh, simultaneously with his staff. So we spent quite a bit of money to get, you know, cultural competency and, and create uh, a place where we could allow people to heal and meet them where they're at. So we took away a lot of the punitive rules and all of the, you know, things that just didn't matter and, and began to meet people where they're at. And we've just seen an incredible, um, you know, increase in outcomes for people. And more so than anything, we just have a wonderful staff that's just incredibly empathetic 
and we have oh that's the best way to say this so when i originally started you would have one or two really good clinicians and then you would have some interns and some different people and i had a clinician come to me uh a while ago and say which one of our clients do you not like enough to have them see one of the interns and i just thought <laughs> <laughs> like, how are you deciding whose family member gets the crappy therapist? Yeah. And you could have knocked me over with a feather, but at the same point, he was correct. And so we've really spent the money. We've got full-time psych um, that's available. We've got Dr. Rapier that does rounds daily. And then we have, you know, fully um, credentialed, fully uh, people that have been in the, in the field for years, master's level clinicians at, at every level and it's and it's about a three to one ratio for clients to therapists and it's a it's it's like a two to one ratio for clients to staff yeah that's rare because normally it's uh i think is utah law eight to one mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's, well i think 12 to one is is the medicaid oh. rule so and and understand you know financially it doesn't make sense um in, in a lot of ways to do this and absorb some of this cost but for us I don't think we could see it doing it without it. Yeah. That's, right. I mean, sacrificing that, that's what good treatment is. Unfortunately with insurance payouts and, and all of those type of things, you, you sacrifice profit for success. I guess, I don't, yeah. I don't know yeah. if success is the right word, but just, yeah, I, I think, you know, for the outcomes and, yeah. I, and I think, um, you know, this is, this is, you'll understand this Austin and Josh, this will be interesting to you, but we were told we went to panel with an insurance company and they were really interested in our outcomes and our outcomes for detox were, you know, 75% of everybody that comes to our detox doesn't come back. Right. And the outcomes for uh, residential treatment under their out of network umbrella for everybody that had come through were like 82, 83% of everybody that comes doesn't come back. And I was super excited about those numbers, but the insurance company kicked back and said that they were too high. And meaning your succeed, those, your success rate's too high. Yeah. And, and so it was almost one of those, like the dope sick Oxycontin moments where maybe this doesn't make us enough money where it's actually profitable. And so it's not something we want to look at. And it was almost like I just sat there and I was like, we've worked so hard, spent all this money to have these outcomes be here. And I'm so proud to even put my name on it because it's where it's at. And yet it's too high. Explain. I, I got to know a little further, which is like, yeah, what, that's nuts. When you say they said it was too high, they're like, we, we don't want to panel because you're too successful. And that like, and I, I reached out and tried to go higher up the food chain, but they kicked back to, yes, you, you're not seeing people multiple times and maybe there's not enough revenue in that. So fascinating conversation and i didn't get to have more of a conversation because they just said you know we, we're going to decline to and, and we're paneled with everyone so it was it was a really interesting thing but you know there's there's some weird parts with insurance and treatment and all the different things that kind of go on on a daily basis and so well because i mean national success rates for substance abuse is what like 15 or oh, something yeah. less than that yeah. i think oh but. yeah and it was interesting to see they had gone back and this was their numbers. This wasn't anything we generated. This was their own numbers to say of our patients that we've allowed to have single case agreements and go through your facilities. These are what the numbers are at. And I'm excited 
right? And then the, the next sentence is, so with those numbers, we're not going to panel you. So it's interesting. It's a moving target. I mean, I think we're all learning a lot. The, you know, when I first became a substance use disorder counselor, and Austin knows this, and and Josh probably does too. There was a lot of shame in it. You yelled at people and told them to get their stuff together, or get out, and you kicked a lot of people out of treatment. And I think, you know, I'm grateful for the shift in treatment and the ability to meet people where they're at and and use medication assisted treatment and all the tools that we have to kind of get somebody back to where they need to be. Um, but it's, you know, multifaceted, you know, chronic homelessness, mental health issues, substance abuse issues, family issues. Um, but I can honestly say there's not one time I haven't sat down with the first responder or veteran and gone through, you know, 15 minutes of their story and thought, man, if this was my life, I would drink too. Or yeah, this makes complete sense to me. And especially, um, you know, Josh's guys, some of Josh's story and guys at the sheriff's office, like the, the things they see day in and day out, and especially the military, what they're ordered to see and take part of day in and day out. And then after one of those traumatic experiences, you've got to be at work the next day. And it's, it's just wild how we've expected them to operate at this almost robotic, almost um, inhuman uh, place. And then been really, um, judgmental and really unpardoning people when they when they need help and so we've seen you know quite a few you know people come through and ask for help and be so worried and shameful and 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 the reality is you know they should have fallen apart 10 years ago or 20 years ago or you know had way you know if we could have identified the problems or given them access like we have today you know, we could have saved a lot more people and kept a lot more officers and uh, veterans around. And so I think it falls on us as a community to do better and to give everybody access to care and do everything we can to, you know, help the people that, that keep us safe. And so I really appreciate you guys at Chateau and Josh and all the work he does. And, and uh, you know, Josh's leadership is just outstanding. The things he does for his officers, the access to care that they have, um, the conversations they're able to have offline that he doesn't know about is probably got to be, I mean, somewhere high in the nation because th those things just don't happen. And you didn't come from that world either. That wasn't anything that was built into you guys. It was, nope. it was show up and shut up and stoicism, baby. Yeah. Yeah. One, uh, on, uh, one thing I'm curious about when you talk about, you know, steps foundationally was you know the traditional 12-step thing i mean what how do you feel like you have such good moving i don't know if we want to call it that you've expanded or moved away from however you would define that from just the traditional 12-step how what is it about that that works so well for you know these the these veterans these warriors you know what what it how did how how are you finding success with that that particular group of people in a non-traditional treatment way i think um you know a couple of different things one we've partnered and and done a lot of stuff with deer hollow as well as chateau um in looking at you know what what are the best resources we can bring in therapy wise we have matt uh, quackenbush who's probably one of the top five clinicians in the country on ptsd dissociation 
um, psychotherapy, psychodrama. He comes in once a week and is able to kind of present and, and run through things. And then I, I think the other piece is, you know, we've, we've got some really uh, good people at EMDR and DBT and, and all the modalities we can, we can possibly find to kind of help them, you know, have a safe spot to land. The old AA model was, you know, you need to get to a meeting and, and if you can't get to a meeting, then, you know, screw you kind of thing. And guys, 12 steps is my fault. Oh, you're right. 12 steps is great. I mean, it, it is the most successful treatment modality we have because it's accessible to everybody and it's free. Uh, and we still love to plug people into the 12 step communities. It's just gone away from, you have to get sober the same way I got sober. We're going to help you find a way that works for you. Mm -hmm. Or do you think 12 steps more behavioral based? Though? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you guys know the other side Academy and the red barn and, mm -hmm. and the behavioral modification programs. I mean, I mean, they're great. I went through one in prison called conquest and, and they're, they're fantastic, but everything like that is to be coupled with individual therapy. And unless you have really good therapists that are very aware of, you know, not re-traumatizing people, I think it's very easy to fall into that or or traumatizing themselves yeah yes. or not doing their own work right yeah or hearing a veteran's story and being like holy shit yeah that's this isn't for me yeah uh, well and and julie jackson just went to you know she's our our director of outpatient services and, and uh, she's fantastic she just went to the east coast symposium uh and they did a bunch of stuff for veterans and veterans affairs and just the language we use and the things we talk about and how we talk about it. And when you say forgotten heroes, what are you really saying? You're saying that these are the heroes that we've forgotten. You're re-traumatizing those people. And so how do you, you know, use correct language and, you know, not, you know, we always have people say, thank you for your service. Right. And, and, and is that the correct nomenclature? Is that what you're supposed to say? Is that, um, reassuring to them or or is it almost condescending and so it's just being aware of what's the language is it yeah is it condescending yeah yep so that's what's the correct term the the correct term is is you know did you serve served here and it's not thank you for your services as much for you know thank you for all you did yeah, I like individualize it basically instead of just kind of generalizing yeah. their service. You know, and so and, and I think we've done it too much where it's just saying that to. Yeah, it's cliche. Know. It's it's, you know, and and even on the first response, people will say that you know, and it's funny. I'll have people that I'll be in a city council meeting or something. And somebody will, some citizen walk by, and be like, "Thank you for your service," and it's like. I didn't do anything. I sit in an office all day and watch <laughs> spreadsheets and shit. I'm not doing anything, you know, and it's like, how about you think the guys that are out like actually doing police work and, and stuff like that. And that's, I think that's kind of where those guys feel like it too, is it's like, Hey, great. Thanks. It's cliche. How about, how about you show some love, demonstrate some love to the guys that are still out there type of a thing instead of just, it's like, yeah, you, you also say thank you when somebody passes you the salt, you know, <laughs> and it, this is different, you know. So, I and in some senses, it's almost like I'd rather have somebody not say anything than something cliche. Like That's that. the one thing they always say is I'd rather have you not say that than than try and than try and make a similarity where there's not. Yeah, you know. And I've talked to you 
a couple of our Navy SEAL clients. And, you know, the last day of Navy SEAL training, it's my understanding they have to drown their cohort and then their cohort drowns them and brings them back to life. So I on no way have any capacity. I mean, I love Josh, right? I'm pretty sure Josh would bring me back, but I don't want to try to drown Josh because I'll probably die doing that. But even my best friends who I love in the entire world, like that's a, that's a different human, right? That's a different individual. I've had so many people that were veterans or first responders of the both come in and say, hey, I'm never, one of my favorite clients came in and said, hey, I'm never going to drink again. And typical substance use disorder treatment would be, you know, hey, that's not the right thinking. And, you know, you need to be aware that that's probably not going to happen. But I've also had three of them that told me that, that never drink again. So that's a different wired person from the ground up. And it just takes a different way of thinking at everything across the board. Because really, if you can go to those levels for your friends and keep people safe and go into the jungle and serve on all these missions and do these things, who am I to tell you, if you're not going to drink anymore, you're not going to drink anymore. And it's just a, been a cool process to kind of learn what goes into training and what goes into creating these incredible warriors and people. And then how do we support them the best on the back end? Yeah. I think it's very much a mindset issue where, you know, sometimes so much of, you know, in 12 step and other things where it's about surrendering. Yeah. And it's like, you can't tell a warrior to surrender. No. It's not going to turn out right. You know? And so they, in a sense, yeah, we're trying to teach them to, you know, to, and, and find sobriety and all that kind of stuff, but they want it to them. It's, this is a battle and I want the battle, you know? It's been amazing talking to to guys that you have down there where it's like, yeah, they're they're talking about where they live on the street in, in Salt Lake or something like that. And it's like, this dude's, you know, and you, you want to, you, you, most people are like, oh, feel sorry for a homeless dude. And these guys are just like, dude, this is, this is my little, uh, this is my forward operating post, man. I'm good. You know, I got this, you know, heaven help anybody that tries to you know, steal my shit. And, uh, but just their personalities and stuff like that. That's what I, I hear over and over again is just like, Hey, I'm, I'm here to fight. I'm not here to, to, to feel sorry for myself. I'm not here to, to, yeah, I'm not here for the cookies. I'm here for the fight. You know? Well, it's as a treatment provider, instead of trying to get someone to surrender, you're just trying to get them to trust you and, and trust that you are, doing the right thing for them yeah you know whether it's their family or their you know whatever it is it, it's that awesome and, and and as you guys know it's just hope it's yeah. just look today's terrible but but as the seals say the only bad day was yesterday and, and and there's tomorrow and and my thing is always if an idiot like me can put together 10 years of, of sobriety you guys are gonna be okay tomorrow i no agree with that, that looks yeah. Like, yeah. it's it's a fair fair yeah. statement yeah I think one of the things that works good at steps too is, <clears throat> is that kind of that cohort mentality where it's like they come in there and, and you know, just like Ty, no one fights alone. I mean, they, you know, there's that same core and, and things like that where it's like, Hey, we're in this together, not I'm a veteran and you're not. And, and where if they were maybe in a different environment, but they very much associate the same way they do at Chateau and stuff where it's like they're, you can bring in a firefighter and a cop and a, paramedic and even a nurse and stuff like that and they're going to bond 
as a group the same way you've got guys from every branch of the military it's not like he's here's the army guys here's the marine guys and they're they're mad dogging each other from across the room it's like they're they're sitting all together as as one and and i think that's where a lot of that comes in well and they're they're fun to talk to because you get them in their little their little areas and they'll talk trash back and forth and man that is yeah you know well it's a cool story that happened just yesterday so we use your guys's medical stabilization uh, a pretty high up police officer that we put in your medical stabilization got put in with a former green beret i think he was or something yep. like that uh and both of them are scared shitless yeah both of them are crying both of them have no idea what is next what to expect and they're going to different facilities like the, the green beret is going to you guys and this cop is coming to us and they just sat there and they fucking bonded yeah. mm-hmm. you know over their struggles and you know it was a really cool thing to hear yeah that, that that's that's what goes down two big burly dudes who have not shown weakness probably since they were 10 years old yep. are sitting there crying next to each other yeah and that's you know josh and i we grew up together and have been good friends forever and you know he's he's just a great person aside from everything else so he comes on sundays and then we've got another guy named jeff jones who's a lieutenant at the jail and he's into buddhism and meditation and all these things and so you know i'll always show up on tuesdays and sit in group and somebody will say what's up with all the cops coming in and it's like well from veterans to cops it's the same service it's the same brotherhood i'm just waiting for you guys to kind of figure this out and then you know two people that have been so instrumental in my life and my sobriety that have helped me, you know, you just want to give these guys access to those people because at the end of the day, they're going to make better decisions if they run it through Jeff Jones or or Josh Adams. And so it's been great to kind of create the program in a way that's completely inclusive because there's, there is seriously nothing funnier than one of the Navy SEAL guys, you know, being reminded by one of the army guys that when you guys drowned in the water we've got to come save you and it's just it's just so funny and off the cup but at the end of the day it's the same brotherhood in the same fight and anybody would do anything for anybody you know i can't tell you how many times i've run into my uncle's kids who would give anything for a few more days with him and you know that's the important part is you you didn't uh take the easy way out which it, which it isn't the easy way it's 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 sometimes it's the only way out um for people suffering such such issues and they're doing it in silence most and, of the and time they're doing it in silence and, and it's neat to have people that have had 10 years of homelessness and 30 years of seal trainings and different things that just have all these issues come in and say look i'm broken and i don't know what to do and what do i do next And so I think those pieces are so inclusive and there's so much empathy there and there's so much brotherhood that it's, you know, up to us to say, okay, we'll throw our hat in the ring. And that's been the nice thing for us is there's a lot of stuff that we don't get paid for um, where we do the right thing. And I think, you know, sometimes you run into red tape where this has got to be authorized or that's got to be authorized. And it's been nice for us to say, hey, look, we'll take them, we'll stabilize them, we'll, we'll get them safe. You let us know what the next steps are, when the next steps are. And in the meantime, you know, as part of my history, you guys understand that I, I want to make sure you're okay. And, and that's the priority, not essentially getting paid sometimes. Well, isn't there with through the VA 
from talking guys isn't there usually they, they look at like detox as one piece mm-hmm. and then after detox then you get on the list to go to residential so it's like okay we're going to detox this guy kick him back to the street until his number comes up for red for for residential and that that's one of the things you've actually actively done is to bridge that gap because it's like what the hell good does it do to detox a guy and throw him right back into his environment without the treatment yeah and and you know, the, and, and I, you can see in that bureaucratic system where something's got to be signed off and sent to the next department or whatever, where it's like, yeah, no wonder some of these guys are, you know, yeah. and give and and if, and just in that, that's enough to make if they broke. Now they're going to break even worse because yeah. it's like I just suffered through that entire withdrawal, medical stabilization thing, and now I'm supposed to just hang out and do what now mm-hmm. until, yeah, next month, yeah, you know. And the, the VA has come a long way, but the initial, when we first started, there was just, there was just so much, you know, you'd have them in outpatient and they, they'd relapse and you'd want to take the housing. And it's nicer now to be able to go, okay, let's take you back to stabilization. We'll, we'll figure out those pieces and then, and then we'll figure out where you need to be. But there's so much trauma. You know, I can't, I can't understate that there's so much trauma being worked on that sometimes they're going to relapse. Problems are going to happen. Things are going to occur. Relationship issues are going to come, and that—that's the nice thing—is kind of have, have you know twenty-four-seven the ability to say, okay, you know, this happened. It's a Friday night. Let's have you come down here back to medical. We'll stabilize you for two days, and we'll figure it out on Monday. And so that's been the nice thing to be able to bridge the gap. And the VA is wonderful. It's just a huge system. Yeah. It's just like Other, everything else. Yeah. It, it, it's it, it can have its its pieces where it's it's difficult. Well, and the difference is, is you may be treating 40, 50 vets a month and they're treating a couple hundred thousand. Yeah, they've got, you know, 200 in services at the VA and and they need have another 200, 400 that need services elsewhere. So how do you bridge that gap and how do you help? And, and I think, um, you know, Chateau's done an incredible job. Josh has done an incredible job with his officers, but it's on all of us to kind of say, hey, you know, what can we do to help out? Josh and I talk all the time about local mental health things and things coming up and how can we help better? And, and, uh, you well, know, I, I think it has gotten if, better locally. Yeah. I think if we can act more as a community than, than separate entities, it's easy. And, and you've been great with that Austin to, you know, allow me to send you some guys in crisis and, and to take them before the authorization comes and, and to get them in, you know, when they need the help and when they're willing to get the help. Well, and that's the same thing we have to do with, you know, we've, called drew on a friday night with a veteran that you know has the va insurance that you know and we're small we're 16 beds we sometimes don't have the space and call him on a friday night and he gets it done yep. you know that's that's part of the deal is you know where I, I don't see anyone locally or nationally as a competitor yeah it, it just doesn't work that way yeah in, I, in, in my opinion yeah and and you don't need to i think you know everybody's you got their things and things that they're good at and spots that they're good at. And I think, you know, when you, you do it for the right reasons and get people to the spots they're supposed to be, I, th- I think that's the key to all of it. So, yeah. Well, cause I know, and I've talked to Drew about this multiple times. If, if I have a, a, a homeless veteran calls me for treatment in all reality, I don't have the setup to treat him Yeah, because of that outpatient, you know, we can do a good job residentially, yeah. but because of the housing, the outpatient, the long, you know, level of care for them to get back on their feet, we're just not the right facility. We're 
a 30, 45, 60 day facility for someone who has housing, who's going back to work, they're on FMLA, like, you know, they're, they're traveling for that and they're going back home. That's what we are set up for. We just don't have the setup to, to, to help those that need all of those extra and that's, things. And that's okay. You yeah. know what I mean? That's, we have mental health people that call all the time and they really want to come to steps. And it's like, look, we're good doing an assessment. We're not great. Let's get you to new roads where they're truly great. Let's get you to Chateau where they're truly great. Let's get you to Cirque where they're truly great and can it deal with you and your issues. And I think collaboratively we have a community that's done that more and more. And I think, um, you know, we at Steps feel like we've been successful because of the partnerships we have and the good people that, that are in the community that are kind enough to honor us to send us their people as well. So I think it's it's good, but it's kind of knowing your limitations and knowing what you're good at at the end of the day. And there's just some people that, that with the severity of mental health stuff, we're not good at. You know, there's people with psychosis and schizophrenia that don't do really well in groups bigger than six. And that's okay. That's not really about us. It's just, man, if you send those guys to new roads, they're going to get better. They're going to get a year in on half of treatment or, you know, borderline specific treatment for those people. And, and, you know, let's not waste their insurance trying to do something that's outside of our scope. Let's get you to where you need to be. So, yeah. Well, I mean, Josh has seen it with the community but you know you've seen it too the, the scope of mental health yeah. is just it's so drastically yeah. different than when you know you and i got sober oh yeah like, you know absolutely it's it's changed so much well and covid brought to light you know that, that there's a lot of mental health problems out there and for the first time in a long time people are actually seeking help and looking at help and aware of that you know, we probably all have a, a degree of mental health issues and, and probably all could use some therapy at least now and again. So I'm glad that we're there and having those conversations. Um, we've had some guys come through professional athletes and different things that, you know, similar to the veterans, similar to the first responders really have, have been done a disservice by those organizations. And now being taken away from the opiates and the drugs and all the things and all the things that they were using to function day to day, you know, how do they, you know, they're tasing themselves in the neck to go to sleep at night. Yeah. And that's not just a, you know, that's not a long-term. I mean, that was my dad, yeah. professional athlete that went insane yeah. basically and never, you know, died at 62, never getting treatment in the NFL. I mean, he was in that CTE case, Yeah, but they never did anything to, to have him seek some type of therapy yeah. or, or whatever it may be. Yeah, and, and the, the, the VA, it's the same. I mean, you know, you imagine the concussions, the, the, you know, gun battles, the hearing loss, the day after day, you know, we have some pretty intense grief groups that are kind of my favorite groups because you have people that are not only getting older and losing friends and family and everything else, but at a young age lost platoons of people and, and, and people they worked with and people they love and Before have never drink. talked about that. Yeah. Before they're even old enough to drink. Yep. Yeah. And so to, to talk about that for the first time and try to process those things is, you know, COVID brought about some cool stuff that we're going to try to get some therapy and that therapy is cool. It is okay. It is something everybody does. It's something I do regularly. And it's something that, that will help you work through your issues because we just weren't sent here to do it alone. If I'm left to my own devices, and I promise you guys this, like that first 60 days in prison where you're kind of in your own cell, I went crazy. Because you don't have access to anybody. You're not, you're writing letters, but you just don't have access to the rest of humanity. 
And, you know, you can imagine people being in their heads like that and creating that in their own space day to day. Yeah. And homeless veterans doing that same thing, being downtown, I'm safe here, I've got this, you know, place cordoned off, I can keep my stuff safe, I can, I can back my own six, you know, and, and, and uh, it's important to remind them, that, hey, they have all these people that love them and care about them and want to help them. So I think that hope part is, is really the key for us. Yeah, it's, it's a lot, it go, there's a lot that goes into this whole process. Yeah. And people, I don't think, I mean, they see a smooth phone call, <laughs> you know, assessment, get me in, here we are. And they don't realize the, you know, all that goes into the back end of dealing with it. Well, know? especially you guys with first responders and having, you know, just some friends, some good friends that are first responders and, you know, it's, it's hard. Oh, yeah. Well, know, I mean, even it's a six month, eight months, year and a half process to get somebody to to say, hey, I, I, I think I really need help. Shit, it's a it's a battle on the back end with the, you know, the HR lady. Yeah. Just to, to make sure they don't lose their job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we don't even tell them that's going on. Yeah. Because there's no point. Why freak them out? Yeah. But, you know, Josh and I talk about this all the time. You know, why do we have a system that punishes people that come forward for help? You know, and how do we how do we make care as accessible as as trauma is? You know, we're asking them to put their lives on the line day out, day in and day out. And 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 Josh's own brother, you know, is is doing a routine. You know, it just still blows me away. Routine day, nothing big, traffic stop, not thinking about it, and he didn't go home. And if that's your day in and day out, we cannot do enough for you. I mean, we cannot. Um, do enough for your family. I mean, there isn't a payout. There isn't an amount of therapy. There isn't an amount of things as a society we, we, we shouldn't be doing for them. I mean, I truly, truly believe that. If you are going to put your life on the line every day for your entire community, then why don't we pay you like that and treat you like that? And why don't you retire like that? So. Well, I think that's one of the dynamics that <clears throat> I read an article this week where I think they said, uh, all four branches, uh, the major branches of the military came way short of their recruiting goals and, and, and target points and stuff like that. And, you know, for me in my position, I was like, oh, I'm not surprised, yeah. you know, um, what we're dealing with now when you talk about, okay, well, who, who are, who is our fighting force who, you know, without trying to be derogatory towards our society and stuff like that. But, you know, you think about our grandfathers that fought in world war two and our, parents that were in Vietnam and and even our friends and so forth that served in uh, Desert Storm and then the batch of people that we've been associating with in treatment uh, at, at every facility that are that are veterans and veterans and or first responders and duty was very much what brought them to the table. Duty, the word duty is what got them in through the whole process duty is what's got them to our doorstep um but you uh, in in our society right now you look at the okay well the 18 to the 25 year old right now what duties do they have in their lives what what you know what self what selflessness is expected of them and things like that and 
you know, I, I look at that and, 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 and again, I, 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 the military probably needs to look at things and maybe they are the same way we are, where it's like, Hey, these people need to go up, need to know up front, we're going to take care of you, you know? And I think maybe I can imagine where for the military, that's been a piece that's slower to respond where, you know, World War II, Vietnam, the casualty rates, the death rates were so much higher, but there's been so much more in tactical combat care and stuff where there's survivability. So people will live through injuries that people were dying from 50 years ago, but the trauma piece didn't die, you know, so they might be missing limbs or, 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 you know, dis disabled in any other way, but they're still otherwise healthy, but their mind is, is not. And, and though, even the ones that weren't injured, they, they were in those same sites. So, you know, the bigger, the bombs, the, the smarter bombs, everything like that, it doesn't take from the fact that, Hey, the boots on the ground type people, they're experiencing their own unique level of trauma and, and exposure and coping strategies and, you know, for so many, I, I've talked to so many different guys that have been my employees and have been uh, in, in treatment and stuff like that, where they're just like, you know, the, the, they're like, I didn't think I was going to live. You know, I mean, one guy that I had, it was pretty funny. He had kind of these whacked out tattooed sleeve all the way up his arm. that was just weird stuff. And, and people joke like, what's that? And he's like, this was just when we were in a whatever Ford operating position and we we're just tattooing each other because we were waiting to get killed mm -hmm. you know it's like nothing better to do yeah you know and and so he he carries that um mark from a time where it's like he he didn't feel like that body was ever going to come home you know and and having to deal with even that where it's like okay now somebody gets home they've been exposed to that stuff and it's that now what you know where's the continuum of care you know in involved in that there's ways to you know, there's GI bills. Hey, we can get you an education. We can do the college stuff. It's like, well, what if I can't go to school? Yeah. You know, what if my mind is in a different place and I can't go back to school? So, yeah, I think I think for, for any duty-oriented service industry at all, public safety, military, everything like that, we've got to get out in front of that question of are you going to – how are you going to take care of me? Are you going to take care of me? What, you know, what's that piece going to be all about? Because if we don't, I mean, how do we expect these kids to, to sign up for military service, policing, firefighting, anything like that, when they realistically have the option to, you know, flip their laptop open at 9 o'clock in the morning and type code in their boxer shorts all day? You know, why not? So, I mean, part of what we all have to strategize to do, military and so forth, is, is help them understand, give them a reason why and know that it'll be okay. Yeah, and know that they'll be taken care of yeah. after their service. Yeah, I mean that's that's you know the one thing I think, and I think that's one of the gaps where a lot of these guys that are our age and older and stuff like that, there was no there was no no expectation, nothing like that in their military service and stuff. So they've come back from Iraq and Afghanistan and stuff, and it's like, you know, they're in 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 particular some of the ones where they were in the guard and stuff. Where it's like, hey, they left their families and went and served and come back, and it's like. They can't even hold down their job yeah. now and stuff like that because there's just too much going on. And it's like we need to we need to restore those guys back, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. or we can't have any expectation that, you know, these younger kids will be, yeah, I'll do that. Well, and, and 
you know, just, just some of the examples of being a therapist, you talk about like people's worst day and there's not one time a military veterans told me their worst day. And I didn't think I would drink myself to death for 10 years just from <laughs> okay. that day. And yeah. then there was a day too, Josh, mm-hmm. like, like they woke up the next day and just went about their business. And I think even first responders, you and I have had some conversations like your worst day is unfathomable in the human condition. Like there isn't enough money you can pay somebody to go through that day. And then you were expected to show up tomorrow. Yeah. And, I, and I think we just have so understated and uh, demanded so much from first responders and everybody else. You've got to be here. I'm going to call 911. And yet imagine doing, um, you know, one of, one, of, one of my friends was talking about CPR on a, on a baby and then having to be at work the next day, having a three-year-old go home to your wife yeah, that night yeah, and look at your child and, and having yeah. a three-year-old that he went home and held all night and then woke up at eight and, and reported for duty. And look, those are the baddest dudes on the planet. Like I could not, I can't, I can't do it today. And yet, um, we still haven't figured out a better system to, to take care of them. And you can see it in, recruiting for police and military and everything else. And, and, you know, why should I put my life on the line? Why am I going to do this? And, and you're right, you know, the old, you know, our grandparents who bought a house with a handshake and a check that wasn't going to bounce to today, it's, it's a different animal. It's a completely different animal. I like to have some kind of faith that facilities like yourselves and Chateau and chiefs like Josh are going to have an impact. Yeah. You know, but it's figuring out how to keep Josh around for the next 10 years in some capacity in consultation or something else, because, you know, even in the prison, I've I've reconnected with some of the old, old guards that have gone and retired, but they were the best human beings. And all they were there to do was to show people how to be a better human being. Like my last day incarcerated, you know, I had had therapy and all these things, but the best advice I got was from one of the guards that said, get out there, get a job, then get a second job, then get a third job, and you won't have enough time to get into any trouble. And by that time, you can get back in school and all this will be a memory anyway. But what great advice from just a person that had done life and was a good dude and was, you know what I mean? And frankly, as a, as a prison guard, as a corrections officer, he probably had two or three jobs himself yeah. because they didn't pay him for shit. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, so, exactly. so that job, him being in that position where he's giving you that, 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 pep talk is that's him responding to duty. He's there because he believes in, in what he's doing. He's saying those words to you because he believes in them. And then, yeah, that night he's going to get off his 12 hour shift and go sweep floors at the high school or something like that, because he needs the money to help his kids and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean that, 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 that duty piece where it's like, yeah, he'll, he'll stay in that institution, do a full career where, could he have done something more profitable in his life, more easy in his life? And, and, you know, and that, that's, that's who we're, that's who we're talking about helping is these people where they could have done something easier in their life, but they didn't, they chose to do something harder or more challenging or frankly, just more selfless, very little self-interest in what they chose to do. And we as a society need to be prepared to say, to say thank you for your service with with action and with help, not with with 
empty words for, you know, thanks for passing the salt. Yeah. Because that was a lot more than passing the salt around. Yeah. And that's, I think that's where we end this episode today is just with that. And and here, here's here's the one thing. The baddest guy I ever treated was a was a sixty five year old Navy SEAL. And we were talking about serving. And I and I, I kind of went down the how do I best, you know, thank you for what you did. Cause this this dude was just the man. And he said, Ty, it doesn't matter, you were worth it. And it was like, God, yeah. I mean that's mm-hmm. That's your guy. Ty, it doesn't matter. Your family was worth it. You were worth it. My kids mm-hmm. are worth it. Thank you for allowing me to. Well, thank you for coming on today. Thank you guys. Are you gonna are we gonna see you again on here? Anytime. Yeah. This is a good I think this was a good in depth conversation about like the realities. Just yeah. you know, we've talked about issues, we've talked with departments about what they're implementing, but the reality of what the treatment provider sees in treating these people is is a cool little take on it. So thank you for, for coming today and uh, we'll see everyone. Thank you for listening to this segment of No One Fights Alone. No One Fights Alone is sponsored by Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. No One Fights Alone is also sponsored by First Responder Trauma Counselors. First Responder Trauma Counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour all-badges, all-uniforms, and all Scrubs educational experience helps to create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. The FRTC National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent, licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-222-419-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.